Hey everyone, today I'm joined by an amazing guest, the Member of Provincial Parliament for Scarborough Guildwood, Mitzi Hunter, and we have some great discussions about COVID-19, racism in education, and lots more. Make sure to listen, hope you enjoy. Welcome back to Let's Talk About Today with Arvin. Today I am joined by a very, very esteemed guest, someone who is a very, very awesome person here in the province of Ontario. She's the former Minister of Education. Uh, she ran for the Ontario Liberal Party leadership race, and she's been the MPP for Scarborough Guildwood since 2013. She is an amazing politician, and she's someone who I definitely look up to. She's awesome. She's the amazing Mitzi Hunter. Mitzi, how are you doing? I'm great, Arvin. It's wonderful to be here on your podcast, and uh, I just really look forward to it because I know you always have interesting perspectives. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness. And with what's been going on in the past four months, there is so much to talk about. But first, I want to know how, how have you been doing? How have you been uh, you know, coping with what's been going on during this pandemic? Well, you know, Arvin, like everyone else in the province of Ontario and really across Canada and the, the world, COVID-19 pandemic has really changed all of our lives. And, you know, things that we would just do normally um, in the past, you know, we have to think twice, like shaking someone's hand, right? We don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, so my focus over the last uh, several months has, first of all, been, you know, safety, making sure that um, the people around me are safe, that my constituents in Scarborough Guildwood are safe, have the information that they need to keep themselves and their families safe. So that's that's been my my primary focus. And of course, you know, I still had to work through it as a elected member of provincial parliament. And uh, I'm part of the recovery effort. Um, you know, really all of us as as locally elected people are. And uh, and so we're, we're now um, just helping to inform the government as much as we can about uh, about the re economic recovery and, and really the, the community health recovery. Definitely. Public health, public health recovery. For sure, for sure. And it's so important that we have uh, people like you, um, you know, making sure holding the government to account, making sure that things are going the right way, going down the right track for Ontario. Um, so, Mitzi, before this pandemic really all unfolded, uh, you were named the critic for finance, treasury, energy, uh, democratic renewal and electoral renewal for the Ontario Liberal Party. Um, with this new critic position, has, has there been any issues, uh, you know, being able to hold the government to account when it's come to, you know, doing your job during this pandemic? Absolutely. And uh, we had a, a, an economic forecast that was tabled on March the 25th in the province. And, and really, um, you know, the government put forward its best estimates at the time. But needless to say, they were way off. And uh, the Financial Accountability Officer of Ontario did a revised forecast uh, in late May. And it, it just, you know, really showed that Ontario um, is is really uh, do, struggling under the pandemic economically. Uh, we, we've lost revenues that normally would go into the provincial treasury. And of course, our expenses for, for different programs have, have seen uh, increases. And, and there are areas in which, um, you know, as an opposition person, you know, you're looking at, okay, 
the government might be doing these things and, and, and they're moving along, but what are they not doing, you know, and where can we do better? Where can we improve? And so as a, as an opposition member for the, the liberal caucus, that's oftentimes where I, in my questions I ask uh, in the legislature and, and in my interactions with the government, you know, I call them to account to say, you know, where can you do better? Where can you improve, do things more quickly and, um, and more effectively on behalf of the people of this province? For sure. Yeah. And it's so important that we have, once again, you, you are awesome when it comes to um, holding the government to account, asking the right questions. Um, one thing in particular that's been like, you know, it's, it's really hurt this province during this pandemic. And you've very um, publicly spoken out against this regarding um, what the Ford government's been doing is the way that they've been handling the long-term hair, uh, long-term care homes crisis. And it's been absolutely devastating. Um, you know, you, you've been asking questions, calling on the Ford government to, um, you know, really um, start taking responsibility for what's been going on. And uh, you know, since the PCs have taken government, uh, they cut proactive inspections of long-term care homes. Uh, it was in like the range of 600 inspections per year. And then once they took office in 2019, it was at 27. So th the conservative cuts are sort of, you know, showing their tune during this pandemic. And I want to know, with you calling out on the Ford government to take action regarding this issue, has there been any progress in your opinion? Well, you know, I mean, the, the first thing, Arvin, is a, a lot of people lost their loved ones in long-term care. And it's just such a horrific tragedy tragedy that has been the result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, I felt that the government should have taken uh, more uh, decisive and quick action to protect people in long-term care. In fact, right after the, the leadership weekend, I was in the legislature that very, you know, Monday morning and that week, and I asked a question of, of the government about long-term care and whether or not they were going to restrict uh, visitors to long-term care because the community spread of COVID-19 was clearly evident. And, you know, it was unfortunate that the government did not, you know, quickly act on on that advice that was coming from a member of, of the opposition because that delay I, I think has has costed um, many 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 uh, unfortunate uh, loss of life and uh, and hardship for people in long-term care including the frontline care workers who work in that healthcare setting you know we, we have seen the the death of personal support workers and and people who work in in long-term care. Um, so, so this is where, you know, I believe that the, the Ford government should have acted more quickly, should have acted more decisively, given um, better guidance to, um, to workers in long-term care and operators of long-term care, and really supplied basic things like personal protective equipment, PPE, that so many workers and their uh, labor union representatives were demanding, you know, very early on to say, hey, you got to protect um, our healthcare workers, because just like people who work in hospitals, they are in close proximity uh, to people who are at high risk and uh, and need that protection. And even things like, you know, making sure that workers are dedicated to one home only and not 
you know, moving from home to home, Mm -hmm, which increases the risk of the spread of the virus. But, you know, one of the things that we noted as well, and this is, you know, myself and my my colleagues in the Liberal Caucus and others as well would call on the government was to increase the pay of these individuals so that they can actually afford to stay in one one location. Um, Because these are often low-waged earners, they were working multiple jobs to make ends meet for themselves and their families. And we felt that they shouldn't be penalized. And we felt actually that they should have hero pay and uh, and an increase in, uh, in their hourly wage um, dating back to the start of when the emergency was declared for the pandemic. Um, you know, one of the things that the, the government has yet to respond to is the call for a full public independent inquiry into what happened in long-term care during COVID-19 and in in terms of the government's response. And I know that they want to do their own uh, appointed commission, but I actually think it should be a a full, you know, hands-off independent public inquiry under the act um, that will assure people that the mistakes that were made will never be repeated ever again. Hundred mm-hmm, percent. I I totally agree. I mean, uh, a, a commission really it, it it won't you know do anything in this particular, in my opinion, compared to what a public inquiry would do. And as you said, we need to make sure that this doesn't happen again because so many you know parents and grandparents um, lost due to COVID nineteen, and we we want to get to the bottom of it. Um, what really broke my heart regarding this. Um, you know, during this pandemic was seeing that the, um, you know, when the armed forces were sent in to, uh, to these, uh, you know, long-term care homes and there were some of the reports that were coming out, it was just absolutely devastating. So, um, for sure there needs to be a public inquiry into, um, the long-term care homes crisis. Uh, but on top of that, regarding COVID-19, um, we've seen that in the past couple of weeks, the Ford government has taken a very interesting path with uh, the reopening strategies, with how they're you know phasing into the reopening the economy, um, and uh, certain counties, uh, you know, except for the GTA and uh, Windsor and a couple other um, ca- uh, regions as well did not enter phase three, but many other areas of Ontario did. I want to get your thoughts and see what you think regarding how the Ford government is sort of reopening the economy. Is it too fast? Are they doing the proper precautions to make sure people are safe? What are your thoughts on this? Well, I actually think that closing the economy um, was a tough decision. It was something that was unprecedented. We've never done that before, where we're all ordered to stay home and not go to work, work from home if you can, and uh, and keep you know hunker down in your in your hopes, you know shelter at home basically, and um, and and that happened. And and what we saw was that the the spread of the the virus uh, steadily declined with the public health measures and guidelines that were put in place. Now the the difficult part is how do you safely reopen and at what pace? And that is a very difficult calculation to make um, because it really relies on people following guidelines, hand washing. Uh, wearing masks uh, when they are not able to physically distance, and um, and 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 really the interactions that occur, whether in workplaces or in you know shopping centers or uh, restaurants, 
you know, are really um, telling when it comes to how the virus is circulating. And, you know, one of the things that everyone should realize is that here in Ontario and in Canada, the virus is still present. It it may not be as bad as what we see, you know, south of the border where, you know, four million people as of yesterday were infected, Mm -hmm, but it's, still is in Canada. It still is here in Ontario. Um, you know, in, in an area that I represent in, in Toronto, which is uh, Scarborough Guildwood, the, the virus actually is still at very high and elevated levels. Um, and I am calling on the Ford government to do more, do more when it comes to testing, making sure that people have mobile tests, pop-up tests, so they don't have to always go, you know, into a hospital setting or, you know, even if it's outside uh, to get a test, they can get a test relatively close to home in their neighborhoods, make it available, make it more widely available. And then once uh, you do test and, and you identify the virus present in individuals, then who has that individual come into contact with and how are they going to be able to safely self-isolate and, and, and stay away from others until the virus is no longer um, contagious. And, and I can tell you that in communities like mine, that is very difficult to do when you see that people live in sometimes small apartments with larger families, uh, multi-generational families. So you could have, you know, an elderly um, parent that's in the home that could be very vulnerable and uh, and people oftentimes work in um, frontline jobs where, where, you know, they might be a bus driver or a healthcare worker and, and they are at high risk of exposure and, and not able to, um, you know, so socially distance or physically distance themselves from um, their family members. And, and those types of, um, of, of, of social issues have become exposed during this pandemic. And, uh, and it's really something that, the government has to address from a public health standpoint, if if the virus is present anywhere in Ontario, everywhere in Ontario continues to be at risk because that, that means the virus could potentially travel. So it is good that the government has taken a phased and a staged approach to reopening, but the risk of a recurrence and a resurgence of the virus is very real. And we see that already happening in other parts of Canada when we look at, you know, the rise in infection rates in places like Alberta and BC um, that had, had been doing very, very well. But now they see that the virus has started to circulate again as they've reopened aspects of their economy. Now, one of the things that I, I want to say, Arvin, is that until there is a vaccine and a cure for COVID-19, there is going to be this risk. And so how do we safely live with the risk of the virus and how can people protect themselves? So making sure that we follow public health guidelines as much as possible using you know, defense mechanisms like masks so that we protect ourselves, but more importantly, that we protect uh, other people that are around us is, uh, is something that we can do and that effective policies within government uh, should be applied to make sure that people can have access to 
personal protective equipment and the right information that they need, the contact, uh, the testing and contact tracing that is needed. So when there is um, an outbreak of the virus, it is contained as much as possible. And that's how um, you reduce the risk. Definitely, 100%. Uh, as you said, until there is a vaccine, we need to hold ourselves responsible and make sure we are all following the public health guidelines, wearing our masks, washing hands, and as you said, you know, downloading the app, making sure that it's contained. Um, as you said, in, in Alberta and BC, there's a little bit more of a resurgence of COVID-19, and I think in Ontario, we should be equally worried because um, in this past week, I'm pretty sure today, actually, um, we saw a little bit of a spike. It, there was 196 COVID-19 cases um, as of yesterday in, in the 24 hours, and so you know, nothing's perfect and nothing's guaranteed, as you said, and we need to just make sure that we are being careful and nothing is solved until there is the vaccine. So 100% agree. Um, but something else that has really been upsetting to see during this pandemic as well, but it's unrelated to COVID-19 has been the, the, you know, the incidents with racism and, and law enforcement, you know, treating racialized people. Um, I think what really sparked a movement, um, a, a very positive movement, in my opinion, um, was the unfortunate killing of uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis and seeing the aftermath of how much, um, you know, people were protesting, how much activism there is. And it's so great that there are more people on board with the Black Lives Matter movement. And there are more people talking about um, the ways, not only just law enforcement, uh, you know, the way that they treat racialized people, but as well just racism in general. And um, Mitzi, I know you um, you wrote a op-ed piece on, I think it was the National Post, and um, you had also, you had went to the uh, the the march as well um, in downtown Toronto, and um, you, you also did a video of speaking out very, you know, publicly um, against, you know, just racism in general and how, how important the Black Lives Matter movement is. Um, during these past couple of months, seeing how people have reacted to this issue. Do you think that there's been any progress regarding this? I do, Arvin. I, I actually agree with you that the movement is headed in a positive direction. And, you know, the, the, the reality is that systemic anti-Black racism in Ontario, in Canada, is very real and, and there's a lot of evidence to support it. And, you know, when I wrote my op-ed, I, I had actually attended um, a, a march. It was um, it was for, um, uh, you know, out of out of respect of, uh, of George Floyd. And it was organized by young people. And I, I felt that it was important that as a elected member, uh, that I show up and I show my respect. And at the, at the march, I actually took, took a knee, you know, that, that was something that was happening inside Nathan Phillips square in uh, Toronto city hall. And as we were kneeling and it was several minutes, um, you know, I really felt the emotion of that moment and just, you know, how horrific it was that, you know, someone who was, you know, in law enforcement, who was sworn to protect people could do something so uh, inhumane and horrific as uh, putting a knee on someone's neck to the, the to the effect that, you know, that person's life was lost right in front of, you know, the world because mm -hmm. it was being film, filmed. And, you know, and that 
so, you know, I rose up from that moment with, with everyone else. And I, I really felt that, you know, the time had come to move beyond this, um, for black population. And, you know, here we are in the beautiful country of Canada where there are so many opportunities. And yet when you look at, at, at the social determinants of health, whether it's education or employment, housing, um, you know, all of all of those key key in health, health, of course, when you look at the, all, all of those key indicators, you see that the black population um, has systemic barriers to overcome. And and therefore it is a hindrance um, to to young people and to to people wanting to fulfill their 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 best and highest potential and their own ambitions. And so, you know, there is no reason for that. We should, we've got to uh, get beyond those uh, systems and uh, and put in new um, new systems, new policies, new programs that uh, that helps us to overcome that. And and so, you know, one of the the things that I'm most encouraged about with this movement is how people are speaking out and um, and how there is a. Um, a, a, a joint um, cause that has been created. You know, when I was at the march, there were people from every walk of life, every background, and many, many, many young people who were marching in solidarity with uh, with the movement um, against anti-black racism and saying that you know we have to make sure that we um, you know treat uh, people equally. And, and so, so I am encouraged by it. I think it's something that is sweeping across uh, many uh, segments of our community and our society. And, and the time has come for that to happen. So, um, you know, we, we can only all be better for it if everyone has an opportunity to live uh, equally and freely in our, in our province and in our country. Well said, well said, 100%. And I think something very important that you mentioned is seeing the way young people have reacted because the, I think, personally, I think that the best way to create change um, in, in any regards is speaking and, and making sure that young people understand the issue. Um, and I th- the best way to reach out to young people is through our education system. And um, you and MPP win. Um, had called out Minister of Education uh, Stephen Lecce. I think this was during in June. You guys had wrote a letter, um, essentially calling out the education minister, telling him that we need more, um, you know, Black history, a history of significant minorities here in Canada and Ontario in our education system, because that is the best way we can, you know, make sure that. You know, young people know the history of Ontario when it comes. You know, it's just not all white people in particular, right? Like there's, there's more to Ontario than that. And I think having that knowledge is an ability to create change and create a more opening and welcoming society to people of all different backgrounds. Would you agree? I would totally agree. And, you know, one of the the improvements that Premier Ford and Minister Lecce can make immediately is, is making sure that uh, the true history of Black people is taught in our education system as part of the curriculum, and you know, in all grades, and and making sure that students are are learning about the real history of Canada. And you know, Black people have been 
here in Canada <laughs> for hundreds of years. Exactly. You know? when, when, when Samuel de Champlain was exploring these lands that was already, uh, you know, of course, be stewarded by indigenous people for thousands of years, um, you know, he had an interpreter with him that was helping him to communicate with indigenous indigenous people. And that interpreter interpreter was a black man by the name of Matthios da Costa. So, you know, from the very beginnings of uh, of the creation of, of what is later to become Canada, uh, there was black people here. We we know the the history of, of black populations in many parts of, of Ontario. Um, you know, uh, like in uh, Owen Sound area, um, in Nova Scotia, the, the black loyalists uh, arrived in the uh, late 1700s, and uh, and they settled there, never left, became part of this country. You know, so we 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 just don't tell the history as it was. We sort of have been silent on on certain aspects of our history and uh, and, and therefore, you know, that erases it for, for future generations. And I don't think that that's what we should do. We should just tell the real and true history of Black population. And of course, um, you know, the modern modern um, contributions of, of, of Black people because we also need to make sure that uh, Black students have role models and and people that they can look up to and see themselves uh, in those roles, whether it is the teacher at the head of the class or the principal or the director of a school board or a politician, you know, a minister of education, exactly, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, or, or a, you know, a CEO or, you know, a, a doctor, um, you know, in every role and in every strata of our society, um, people of all backgrounds should be reflected and we should not have systemic barriers that keep certain people out or you know another side of it that uh, we have to recognize is white privilege where someone will um, just be seen as uh, the right fit because mm-hmm, yeah. of their of, because of their their privilege and and that's also something that uh, we have to call out as well and For and sure. so you know Arvin we are in uh, an amazing time for young people. And yes, we're in the midst of a pandemic, but oftentimes when you are in, you know, these, these times where you have to pause, you can reflect and you can rethink and you can recreate. And so we don't have to be the same as we were before COVID. We can be different coming out of it and we can, you know, create a province that is more inclusive and more uh, reflective of all the people who live here and uh, and who want to make a difference and who want to make a contribution for sure that well said 100 percent exactly we need more people like you mitzi 100 uh, <laughs> percent i well mitzi i could talk to you for hours and hours but i know you have to go you're a very very busy person but i just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast and having these important discussions with me i know that our listeners are gonna be very happy to hear what you have to say and what you're doing is so vital. Just please keep up what you're doing and keep, uh, you know, making sure Ontario is going down the right track. Thanks so much for all you are doing, Arvin. Your, your voice is making an enormous difference and it brings me a lot of hope knowing that uh, people like you uh, are helping to shape our future. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Have a great day. All right. Take care. You too.
Wow, what a fantastic discussion. Thanks again to MPP Mitzi Hunter for coming on the podcast, making time and chatting with me. Um, It was an absolute honor. I hope everyone really enjoyed this episode. Uh, And if you did, please hit that subscribe button, follow us. Uh, If you could leave a five-star review, it really, really help out. And and share with your friends as well. Um, we got to stay engaged in what's going on, especially young people as well. And uh, I hope everyone just stays safe, stays well uh, during this time, and hopefully we'll have more episodes on the way. Thanks again for listening. This has been Let's Talk About Today with Arnold.